Well, tonight we're just going to continue in this series called Be Mature, and it's in the book of James. That's my favorite book of the Bible. I, I don't know why, but uh, just my favorite. But full of great practical teaching, things that we really take into our life and apply it to our life. And tonight we're going to talk about the power of patience. All right? Now, how many of you tonight could benefit from another message on patience? Right? We probably do that every week, right? We hear one message on patience and go, that was good to help me. And then like a week later, we need another one. You know, give us another one. But James speaks to us about patience in James chapter 5 in verses 7 to 12. So if you have a Bible and you'd like to turn to this right now, please turn with me to verses 7 to 12 of James chapter 5. And I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. Bible says this, Dear brothers and sisters, be patient. As you wait for the Lord's return, consider the farmers who patiently waited for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. For examples of patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. But most of all, my dear brothers and sisters, never take an oath. By heaven or earth or anything else, just say a simple yes or no so that you will not sin and be condemned. Now, I want to say a prayer. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word, God, which is life to us. It's bread to us. And Lord, we pray tonight as we begin to just eat this meal of the word of God that you would, Lord, make it good. And God, that we would understand it and that, Lord, we would apply it. And Lord, that we would desire to obey it. Lord, that we walk away from this place, God. We will have a newfound uh, joy in the patience that you want us to have. Lord, we, it just our outlook would be better. Lord, we just pray that you would improve us spiritually tonight. Lord, as we feast on your word, we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. All right. So as believers, we need to endure. We need to expect. How many of you come expecting of the Lord in your life? I mean, isn't God good? I mean, don't you expect God to do good things? Do you expect the good things to happen that God has promised in the future? How many are looking forward to those promises of God? Amen. When's the last time you read the promises of God? I just want to challenge you. When you read the Bible, man, just look for them. You'll, you'll see promise after promise after promise of what God is saying is to come, what he's going to promise to do in our life. You know, some people think maybe the Bible is just there to tell me how bad I am or, you know, I'm looking at it for all the negative things that I'm doing wrong and God wants to point those things out. But I got to tell you, if you just spend a little bit of time in God's word, you'll see that it's not about all those bad things. It's mostly about about the good things that he has promised, about the things that he has actually already done that we just need to wake up to, come alive to, and realize what Jesus has done for us so that we will worship God. So I just want to encourage you tonight. Listen, we need to endure. We need to expect. I love this passage in James because three times James reminds us about the Lord's return. 
Now, how many of you are expecting Jesus to come back? How many read God's word and see that promise there? That Jesus said he will return, right? That happened right away. In fact, as he was ascending, right? The angels said to the guys, what are you around standing around looking around for? Jesus who went away, he's going to come back in the same way. He'll return again. So we expect the Lord's return. I love this because he kind of puts something in our, in our heart here. It's that even when we think about patience, we may not think about the Lord's return. That may not be the first thing we were thinking about. We were thinking about how to get through the day. You know, we were thinking about our family, maybe, or our coworkers, or our boss, or we were thinking about something to be patient about, this whole COVID-19 thing, you know, whatever. And that might have been the first thing we were thinking of. But I like how James, he just immediately puts it, be patient while we're waiting for the Lord's return. He just reminds us what it's all about. What are we doing here anyway? Why are we living here? What do we look forward to? Why do you live each and every day for the Lord to expect his return, to be reunited with Jesus one day? We have to remember that. I I think if we think more about the Lord's return, I think we'll get more excited about life. I think we'll start to realize, hey, you know what? With every new son that comes up, that's another day closer to being with Jesus. That he would come back. That we could be with the Lord. And so this is what James is reminding us of, is that the Lord is going to return. Titus chapter 2, verse 13, Paul describes the day. He says, we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our God and Savior, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. We must patiently endure hardship and heartache until Jesus returns. Patience means this. To stay put and stand fast when you'd like to run away. How many ever had those days? You just wanted to run away. Or maybe you just want to crawl into bed and go to sleep, you know, for like four days you know, or whatever. Let this just pass. I think we all, we're human. We all have those kinds of days. We have those kinds of moments. But patience means stay put, stand fast when you'd like to run away. Now, speaking of running Lately, I've been doing a lot more running than I, than I have done in a very long time. Uh, Carl Cohen and I are part of this men's group called SoulCon, and we're required to do these 5K runs, and uh, I'm jealous because he got his 5K running before church. I didn't get a chance to. I might have to run after church, so pray for me later, all right? But we, uh, we've been doing this thing, and I've been running 5Ks, which is 3.1 miles, and I haven't done that, you know, really since college and high school. And, uh, and yet, there are moments when you're in the middle of that run that you just want to give up. You just want to stop. I mean, sometimes your lungs are hurting. Sometimes there's, it's just like in your brain, there's this battle going on, going, all right, you're done. You know, all right, you're done. You could just quit today. You got another day or whatever it might be. And this is what happens. But when I think of running, I think of endurance. When you build up that endurance, the more you run, the more you build up this ability to keep going. But in that race, when you're tempted to give up, in that run even, you got your mind, you have to say, you can do this just a little bit further, just a little bit further. You got this. Just keep going a little bit further. And I think that's the way that God wants us also to see him as our inspiration, see the Holy Spirit as the one who's empowering us to live for him. But every day, even when we're tempted to give up and say, I'll just quit, I just can't do it anymore, it's just to say, Holy Spirit, be with me. Just one more, just a little bit further. I can do this. I can just keep going. And as you do that, you begin to build this second wind and you begin to, you begin to be able to do things that you didn't think you were able to do. I got to tell you, when I started doing exercise routine every day, 
I wouldn't imagined uh, what happened to me this morning. So I started timing myself on my exercises. I just want to share this with you because I was pretty proud of this, and I don't know how I'm going to beat this. But I just have to say, I started timing. So every exercise I do, I time for two minutes. So I started doing two minutes of jumping jacks. All right, my first time I think I did, and I just went for broke, and I was like, man, I got to like 120-something jumping jacks in two minutes. I'm like, that's pretty good. Well, this morning I did it. I couldn't believe it, Carl. I couldn't believe this. 177 jumping jacks in two minutes. I don't know how I'm going to beat that, but that's what I thought last time. I don't know how I'm going to beat it because I'm like full bore speed for two minutes without, without, even, without any hesitancy. So I don't know. I just got to figure out how to do it faster. But, but man, so you could do things that you didn't think you could do. And spiritually, with the Holy Spirit living in you, is there anything impossible for God? Come on. So tonight we're talking about this patience. All right, there's three examples of patience, patient endurance given in this passage. The first one is the farmer. In verses 7 and 9, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage for the coming of the Lord is near. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. How many of you uh, have grew up around a farm or maybe, maybe you've, was anybody here live on a farm? Your mom and dad were a farmer or you, you kind of grew up on a farm a little bit? Did I see any hands? You drove by a farm. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So we do have a farmer, farmer farmer's daughter maybe or grew up there somewhere. Great grandmother. Okay. Now we're going way back. Are there any farmers today? Right? Anybody <laughs> still farming? But yeah, you know, the farmland here in the, in the valley is kind of disappearing little by little, right? As more houses go up and technology has moved in and things like that. But I grew up in northern Maine. So I grew up where there were a lot of farmers, all right? And they were potato farmers. And uh, so every year we used to get out of school for three weeks in the fall for potato harvest. And they let all the kids out of school from the end of September till mid-October to harvest potatoes. So we had an option. You could stay home for three weeks or you could go work for a farmer and pick potatoes. Or if you were 16 and older, you could work on a harvester for three weeks and you could earn some money. So I went and earned money. I didn't stay home. I wanted to go to work. But I got to tell you something. It is a patient occupation. If you want to be a farmer, you have to believe, you have to till that soil and you have to prepare it and you have to put your seed in and you have to continue to watch that and you have to cultivate it and you have to wait for the harvest and wait for that season to take place. And in potato farming, you also have to, you know, maybe spray pesticides and other things on those vines uh, for a couple of reasons. One's it keeps the bugs off the potatoes so that they don't, they're not going like, to get eaten and, and the crop will be lost, but it also loosens up those vines so that when the pickers come in the fall, when those potatoes are ready and the digger comes and digs the potatoes up from underneath the ground, the, the vines also kind of fall off. If you, didn't, if you didn't treat those potatoes, those vines are like really hard. And believe me, I've been there at five in the morning as a teenager, you know, 14 years old and trying to pick potatoes off a vine. It is very hard when those vines don't just fall apart, but it's kind of nice when the vines just fall apart because then the potato just has to get picked up and put in the barrel. But there's a lot to farming that requires a patience. We, they must be patient with the seed in order to produce fruit, and there's a lot of risk. 
There could be loss of crop, loss of, of that, but the potatoes or whatever you're farming. And it could be a disaster in the, in the harvest time. James pictured the Christian as a spiritual farmer looking for a spiritual harvest. God is producing a harvest in our lives. He wants the fruit of the Spirit to grow in our lives. How many of you know the fruit of the Spirit? You've heard that. Many times in your life. Have you memorized it? Anybody try to memorize the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, right? You have to get that. It's found in Galatians 5, to 23. And it says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And my favorite part is this last part. There is no law against these things. I love that. In other words, show all the love you want. Show all the joy you want. Show all the peace you want. You'll never break the law doing that. And that's what God is saying. God is saying, do it and do it all the more because this is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's the fruit that God produces in our lives. So as we stay tapped into the source, Jesus Christ, right? As we have this relationship with the Holy Spirit, we are like that crop that is being uh, ripened and we produce this fruit. The Holy Spirit produces the fruit in us. And this is, this is the evidence of God's work and life in our lives. And so we have to be patient. How many know sometimes we don't always feel like we're full of the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Patience is one of the fruit. And sometimes we don't have it. But remember, you are still at work. And remember how incredibly patient God is with you. He's asking you to produce a harvest of fruit. But he, you are his harvest. We are his harvest. And he is incredibly patient as we are developing and as we are growing. We serve such a good God. Everybody, come on, let's say it. God, you are good. Out there watching this video, God, you are good. Amen. All the time, right? So the only way to do this is to go through trials and difficulties and to establish your heart in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul made it a primary goal to strengthen young believers so that they would become strong in their faith. We can read this in Romans chapter 1, verse 11, which says this, For I long to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. This was Paul's heart. Also in 1 Thessalonians 3, 1 to 3, finally, when we could stand it no longer, we decided to stay alone in Athens, and we sent Timothy to visit you. He is our brother and God's co-worker in proclaiming the good news of Christ. We sent him to strengthen you, to encourage you in your faith, and to keep you from being shaken by the troubles you were going through. But you know that we are destined for such troubles. But Paul's part was, I'm going to send him to strengthen you. To build your faith. How many know God understands we need building? We need strengthening. We need encouragement. We need that constantly. That's why church is so important. Whether you're in person or whether you're watching, you need to stay connected with your brothers and sisters in Christ so that you can be strengthened, you can be encouraged, your faith will be built up so that we won't quit. Because when we go through troubles, that's the first thing our mind is going to want to do. It's going to want to stop. It's going to want to quit. It's going to want to say, I can't take it anymore. But, and, and we're right. In our humanness and in our own strength, we can't. But with God's help, nothing is impossible. God can help us through it. And in fact, those troubles and those hardships are serving a purpose in us. 
they are producing a fruit in us if we'll allow God to do so. 1 Thessalonians 3, 10 and 13 says this, Night and day we pray earnestly for you, asking God to let us see you again to fill the gaps in your faith. I love that. We pray earnestly for you, night and day, to fill the gaps in your faith. How many of you ever felt like you had gaps in your faith, right? You're like, isn't it weird sometimes? You like have so much faith in one area, right? It's like, I believe God so much for this, but then there's another thing. It's like, I don't have any faith. I don't know why I don't trust in this area or I don't believe in this area. That's called a gap in your faith. It it doesn't make sense. Over here, you're like a strong Christian and then all of a sudden this happens. It's like, what happened to you? You know, where are you? It's the gap. And that's why Paul says, I pray earnestly night and day that those gaps would be filled. How many know tonight you're called to be a gap filler, all right? You're called to be a gap filler because you're called to pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. How many of you tonight would commit to that, right? This week, you'd say, I'm going to pray for my brothers and sisters in the church this week, all right? I'm going to pray for them so that the gap in their faith might be filled, right? Instead of getting on each other and piling on each other and saying, shame on you for thinking that way or being that way, why don't we just strengthen one another and say, I'm praying for that gap in your life because believe me, I got a gap in mine and I need prayer. I need prayer. And that's what God wants us to do. And that was the Apostle Paul's heart. He said in verse 11 of 1 Thessalonians 3, he says, may God our Father and our Lord Jesus bring us to you very soon. And may the Lord make your love for one another and for all people grow and overflow, just as our love for you overflows. May he as a result make your heart strong, blameless, and holy as you stand before God our Father when our Lord Jesus comes again with all his holy people. Amen. Woo! That's what we want. A heart that is not established cannot bear fruit. We must establish our heart in the Lord Jesus Christ. Farmers are always working. Notice that. You ever see that? Farmers are always working. They get up early and oftentimes they work until sundown. They're always working or they're eating breakfast. You know, I don't know what it is. They're eating a big breakfast too, right? When they get up first thing. But they're always working, never sitting around watching the crops grow. How many of you ever sat around watching water boil on your stove? Let me try to do that. It just doesn't get done, does it? You just watch it. It seems to take forever, right? But farmers don't waste time just sitting around on the tractor just going, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Corn, yeah, it grew about an inch. Okay, we keep watching it. You know, they're always working. They're doing something else. They're getting prepared for the next step. They're, 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 they're cultivating. They're constantly moving, and they're going at it while things are in the of growing. And so you and I too need to to learn from this. Farmers are also not known to get into fights with their neighbors. You talk about farmers, it's not something you think about. They don't get in fights with their neighbors, right? But rather, they're known for their willingness to help others. That's pretty much the, the reputation of a farmer, all right? Help someone else, okay? So nobody on the farm has the time or the energy for disputes. This is just, there's just so much work to do. I experienced this, and I always told teenagers this when I was a youth pastor, because I would say, man, you know, we could, we could stay out of trouble for a long time if we just go on missions trips together. If we just go do God's work, because I'm going to tell you something, you go start doing God's work, and you start ministering, and you learn skits, and you learn how to minister and teach and preach, and you do all that, you'll be so busy. From sunup to sundown, all you're doing is God's work, you know, and you're, you're asking people to accept the Lord, and you're teaching them all this stuff. You don't have time to sin. 
<laughs> you don't have time for all that. That's because you're so busy working for God. And that's the way farmer's life is. I got too much, I got too much to do to cultivate the crop than to really get in all this trouble because they're working hard. And this is the way God wants to see ourselves as we are producing fruit in our lives, okay, as he, as he is producing the fruit in our lives. James says this, don't grumble about each other. Man, that's convicting. <sighs> let's all say that together, okay? I don't want to be the only one, <laughs> all right? But let's say this together. Let's say, don't grumble about each other. Let's repeat. Don't grumble about each other. Let's repeat. Don't grumble about each other. Whew. All right, you heard it in church tonight. More importantly, you heard me say it in church tonight, all right? So you can hold me to it, all right? Don't grumble about each other. Wearsby, who's the commentator over the series we're doing, says this. Impatience with God often leads to impatience with God's people. Mm. And this is a sin we must avoid. If we start using the, sick, the sickles on each other, we will miss the harvest. The sickles weren't meant for each other. They were meant for the harvest. Okay, so let's not turn on each other. Amen. The example of the prophet, uh, the example of the farmer is to keep working. The second example is the prophets. Verse 10. For examples of patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. James's Jewish audience would have understood this perfectly. Even Jesus pointed out, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 to 12, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when you people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Jesus was teaching them, those followers, those early disciples, those followers, that, yeah, people are going to say all kinds of things about you. As a, as a believer, they're going to lie about you. They're going to put you down. They're going to make you look bad. They're going to say things about you. Why? Because you're my followers. But he's basically saying, but they did the same thing to the prophets. You're in good company. You're in good company. When you follow Jesus, you follow some great heroes of the faith who came before you and suffered because of the message of God that they spoke with their lips. So that's okay. You're going to take some heat from people, but that's because you follow Jesus. Just remember that. It's Jesus they hated first, and so they hate you because of that. I'm not saying everybody hates you. I'm just saying when you get persecuted, just understand that there's something spiritual, something deeper that's going on. Amen? And we should ask God for some patience and maybe even some wisdom on how to deal with some people. The worst of your enemies could turn around. The worst of your enemies could turn into the greatest followers of Jesus Christ. You just never know. Look what happened to the Apostle Paul. Look what happened to him. You think there were people that were afraid of him? They were afraid of Saul when he was named Saul, right? They were afraid of him because he was dragging people to prison and, and jail. And he was okay in the deaths and the stonings of these believers, because he was zealous for God. He thought this Christian thing was just a cult thing. He thought this was tearing down Judaism. And he was zealous for God. He was, a, he was a Jew. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, he said. He knew the law. So he thought he was doing a good thing by doing this. He didn't think he was doing evil at all. He thought he was doing a good thing by squelching the followers of Jesus. But boy, Jesus got a hold of him. <laughs> Amen. And turned him around. And look at him. He becomes the greatest proponent of Christianity that ever lived. The Apostle Paul. Wow, so you never know what your enemies, they may turn into great preachers of the faith. Amen? 
Satan tells faithful Christians that their suffering is the result of sin or unfaithfulness, and yet their suffering might well be because of their faithfulness. How about that? You might think, what did I do wrong? Why am I suffering? God, why do you hate me? God, why do you turn your back on me? God, why are you allowing this to happen to my family? God, why did you do this? How come I don't have a job now? God, how come? How come people have turned on me? You might be tempted to say, God, what did I do? But it may be because of your faithfulness that you're suffering. Because you're doing something right. And you know what? If you get a perspective from the Lord, he would say, I'm trying to produce fruit in your life. 2 Timothy 3.12, yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And remember this, the will of God will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. God will help you in all of your trials. When we're patient in trials, it is a testimony to everyone around us. Pastor spoke on this theme even Sunday when he talked about your, your, your misery can become your message. It can become your story. How many can think of stories in your life right now where it was, at the time, not a great thing, right? It wasn't fun. It wasn't great to go through. But now you look back and go, wow, God was in it. Look what God did. Now that's a testimony. Now I can say, God, I, I, I see what you were setting up. And you were setting up a great message that would bring you honor and glory. So now I, I thank you, Lord. I wouldn't have thought, thanked you back then. But now I'm thanking you, Lord, that I was able to come through the fire and come through the water. You were always there. You were always with me through it all. Amen. All right. And then let me get, I'm going to skip a few verses, uh, production team, just so you know, because I'm going to wind this up. I'll go to the third example is Job. Job is found in verses 11 to 12 of James 5. It says, we give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. But most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no so that you will not sin and be condemned. Here's some things that, just to think about for a minute. You cannot persevere without trials. You cannot have victories without battles. You cannot experience peaks without valleys. You get the idea? There has to be a valley. There has to be a trial. There has to be a battle for you to be, come out on top, for you to come out a victor. If you want the blessing, you must be willing to carry the burden and then enter the battle. I'm going to repeat that. If you want the blessing, then you've got to be willing to carry the burden and enter the battle. You've got to do that. If you want that blessing, sometimes God doesn't want, always want to give us the blessings that we want. God has to balance privileges with responsibilities, blessings with burdens, or else you and I will become spoiled, pampered children. God is working on us, and God knows what's best for us. He even gave Paul a thorn in the flesh. Why? Does anybody remember what the Bible says, the reason Paul had the thorn in the flesh? Anybody know? Anybody want to shout it out? All right, I'll just tell you. All right, so to keep him humble. That was the reason the Bible gave. The thorn in the flesh was given to Paul to keep him humble. Paul had to say, I, I needed to remain humble. I, I don't want to become puffed up. I don't want to be puffed up with knowledge that God, because knowledge puffs up, right? I don't want to be puffed up with the experiences because God's favor was on Paul. You know, he was able to experience miraculous things because of God's favor in his life. He was even caught up into the heavens. All these things could have 
puffed Paul up, but God gave him the thorn in the flesh to keep him humble. So God knows what's best for us. You see that? It was a hardship in Paul's life, but it was for the good. It wasn't just because he's a bad guy or whatever. It's for the good, to keep him grounded where he needed to be in the Lord. And so sometimes we have to deal with things in our life too just to keep us the way, where God wants us to be. Blessing can come in the middle of a trial like an example of the fiery furnace. But most often, blessings come after the trial. That's the point of the story of Job. The point of the story of Job is that you don't always get blessed in the middle of the fire. That happened to the Hebrew children because there was one standing in that fire. We sing that song too. He's in the fire. We know he's there. God is always there. And that to know that he's there is a blessing in itself. But for Job, boy, I want to encourage you to read the book of Job. Because you will see the fire that Job had to go through in his life. There was nothing, nothing except for sparing his life. Nothing was stopped from happening to Job. God allows Satan free reign on Job's body, on Job's family, on Job's wealth and everything that he had built. Even an attack on Job's faith and his faithfulness from the people who were supposed to be his best friends. Accusing him falsely for chapter after chapter after chapter. And Job is filled with speeches that are false against Job. And he had to defend his faith and his testimony and everything else. And he had to go through all of that. Why? Because God was just saying, consider my servant Job. Satan was saying, nobody will serve you, God, except that you bless them. That's it. That's the only reason why people even worship you, God, is because you bless them. That's the only reason. Satan told that to God. He said, if people weren't so blessed by you, they would not serve you. And God was like, I doubt that. Look at my servant Job. <laughs> and so he allowed Satan to do whatever he wanted to Job. And in the end, probably one of the greatest declarations of faith in all of Scripture, Job made it. Though he slay me, yet will I serve him. Even if God kills me, I will still serve him. And Job was saying that out of faith because he didn't understand what was going on. He didn't. He just trusted God. That is faith right there. When you look at God's character and you see how good God is and then you go through that and then you begin to question, right? But Job didn't question God's character. He's like, this doesn't seem like God. But I'm still going to serve him because I trust that he is good and that something good is going to come out of all this anyway. That's faith. And so I encourage you to read the book of Job. But this is what James is telling us. These examples, the farmer, the prophet, Job, all great examples of patient endurance that you and I can learn from. There's so much more I had written, Pastor, but I am not getting to all this. Amen to that. So much good stuff in God's word. Ultimately, God was glorified and Job, Job was purified through his difficult circumstances. I'm coming to a conclusion. I'll have Pastor Anthony come up right now. What does all this teach us tonight? What does it teach us? Remember this. When you find yourself in the fire, God keeps his gracious hand on the thermostat. He's in control. He wants to do what's best for you. He's not, his, his, his goal isn't to kill you or to fry you or to take you, tear you apart. His goal is to bring you forth like gold, tested in the fire. That's his goal. Job 23, 10 declares, but he knows where I'm going. And when he tests me, I will come out as pure as gold. 
Satan wants us to get impatient with God, for an impatient Christian is a powerful weapon in the devil's hands. Moses' impatience robbed him of a trip to the Holy Land. Abraham's impatience led him to the birth of Ishmael, the enemy of the Jews. And Peter's impatience almost made him a murderer. When Satan attacks us, it is easy for us to get impatient and run ahead of God and lose God's blessings as a result. So we need to be careful with that. When you find yourself in the fire, turn to the throne of grace. God's grace is sufficient. Amen? You're not a robot caught in the jaws of fate. You are a beloved child of the king, privileged to be his wonderful story. James 5.12 talks about oaths, that last verse. And oftentimes when people get desperate and afraid, they turn to God and they make him promises that they cannot keep easily. How many have ever seen that? Maybe you've done that yourself. You get so desperate, you start just making oaths. You start telling God, I'll do this and I'll do that and I'll go there and I'll do this. People do that especially after their circumstances change for the better, they begin to realize, I can't keep all those promises I made to God. Once God gets them out of the fire, it's like, oh, what did I say? Oh, what did I promise? Oh, what did I do? And they soon go back on their promises to God. And James is saying, be careful. God's not impressed by all the promises when you're in the fire. God is saying, just look for him there. He's got a purpose there. You don't have to make God a bunch of promises that you can never keep just to gain God's favor. I would rather have you be honest with him. God, I don't know what you're doing, but even if you kill me, I'll serve you. Here I am, God. I know you're with me. I know you are, but it hurts so bad. But I know you have a plan. James teaches us that if you're a true Christian with integrity, then all you have to say is yes or no, and people will believe you. God, will always believe your heart. He knows your heart. Jesus warned us that anyone more than this is from the evil one. So let's be honest with God. Can we say a prayer? Lord, we just come to you tonight. We love you. We thank you for patient endurance. We can't do it on our own, but God, with the Holy Spirit's help, we can. God, we can say, okay, here I am. But Lord, help me. Let me be patient like the farmer who waits for the harvest to be produced. Not sitting idle, but being busy and working for your kingdom each and every day. Living our lives in your will. Lord, let us be patient like the prophets who were persecuted for your name. Lord, sometimes it's not the bad things we've done that's bringing on that hurt and those troubles. It's actually because we're doing good things, faithful things that we suffer. Remind us that we're in good company with the prophets. And Lord, let us never forget Job. Because Job is an example of someone who wasn't blessed in the middle of all the fire and trouble. And he lost so much in the middle of it all. But Job is an example of someone who was blessed after. Lord, because of his faithfulness through it all, you blessed him with more than he had even beforehand. Lord, you blessed him so greatly because he passed the test. Lord, I pray that you remind us. Let's get through it. There are great promises ahead. Let us serve you in Jesus' name. Amen.